Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. Here we are back with the Principles of Performance podcast, episode number 22. My name is Eric Degatti, your host, along with my friend, Mike Perry. Mike, how are you today? Living the dream, buddy. It's a, it's a beautiful day here in sunny Boston, so we'll take it. So, yeah, it is. I, I'm in Boston, too, and I concur. It's a, it's a nice sunny day, which is we, we take them as we get them. <laughs> we, you know, I, I was actually, to, not to, to kind of get sidetracked before we even start, but you know, I was thinking about putting out a post and because I thought about like what a concentration of incredible people in our field we have that come from just two areas, like the New yeah. York, New Jersey area and Boston, right? It's crazy how many great people we've had come out of these two areas. It must be something in the water. Yeah, best, I think the we're, best pizza I think and the best for, trainers. We're due for like a West Side Story type of like uh, fight. You know, it's like Boston versus New York. And, <laughs> and there's, only, there's only a few people are going to get that reference. So I should probably... Or we Stay go West Coast, those. East Coast, and, and we just see what we got there. Um, but anyway, um, uh, I want to introduce our, our our guest here for today and, and continue our streak uh, of good luck with great guests. We have Tony Gentilcore, and, and Tony is one of the co-founders of Cressy Sports Performance, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about and we'll talk about. Um, and even though he's no longer coaching there, his, his legacy remains, uh, mm-hmm. but he's training people now at his studio, Core, which is in Boston. Uh, but he's a frequent contributor to media publications like T-Nation, Bodybuilding.com, uh, Men's Health, Stack Magazine, Livestrong, and more. Uh, he does in-person and online training programs, plus has a number of educational programs for coaches and trainers and travels all over the world teaching workshops. And we're really excited to have him on here. Uh, welcome, Tony. Thank you very much. Thank you for the nice introduction. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to kick off uh, the questions and kind of from what little bit I've uh, I've been able to gather from the work that I followed of yours for many years. Um, you know, the one thing that that I kind of take away is is that you know a lot of our industry takes themselves very seriously. You know, almost way too seriously. Um, but in contrast, you have a way of kind of injecting humor and, and personality into your content and. You know, of, of the things I've learned from you, I've stolen, you know, some great T-spine drills and some other stuff. Um, I've also gathered that um, you're, you're, you're really good in that you understand and appreciate that Wu-Tang is for the children. Um, oh, exactly. You know, funny, before we go on, one of the highlights of my year is the first day of my kid's kindergarten class. Like, first day of kindergarten, I was walking him to school. He had his Wu-Tang is for the children t-shirt on, which, you know, first day of kindergarten, that's, you know, that's already a win in my book. I take him to the front door to meet his teacher. And I was like, oh, here's Julian. And his teacher's name is Mrs. Shea. First thing out of her mouth to me was Wu-Tang's for the children. 
and I was like, okay, Mr. Shea is cool. Like it was a, it was a, one of the highlights of my year. It was great. <laughs> there you go. There, there's hope in our educational system. And for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, um, the, oh, the, the Wu-Tang Clan, it was, uh, it was Dirty Old Bastard, I believe was one of the rappers, right? Oh, he went yes. up at, yeah. he went up in an award show and, and was it Taylor Swift or somebody like that was getting an award? Oh man, I don't know. I I have I have no recollection. But I think it, was, it uh, I think it was somebody of that ilk, like it was a Britney Spears type, you know, Tiffany uh, Taylor Swift type Tiffany, of thing. Tiffany he, Swift. Yeah, I'm just gonna mix them together. But he <laughs> just fine. basically stepped right in front of her while she was getting her award. It screamed that Wu Tang is for the children. It's and it's forever been embedded in my brain. Is um, yeah. something like yeah. that. But um, so let me ask you this, Tony: Are you trying to say that training should actually be fun? Um, yes, kinda. I think with regards to my content, like I thank you. Like I, I feel like my, my writing style and my presenting style is pretty unique. They're one and the same. I, I, I like to come across like how I write is how I am in person. You know, I try to keep it authentic and early in my writing career, I, I received a great piece of advice from TC Luoma, who is one of the uh, lead editors at T Nation. And when I, when I, submitted a few of my first articles you know everyone goes to the to the process like the first few are always denied you know it's like oh man i'm never going to get in and then eventually i got in and as i got maybe two or three articles deep on on that site and we're talking i think 2006 somewhere in 2005 so it was a, it was a while ago uh he told me he's like listen people want to people want to learn that's why they come to this site like they want to learn how to improve their squat. They want to learn why their knees hurt, et cetera. They want to add muscle, but they want to be entertained. So that, that sentence to me really opened up Pandora's box in the sense of, you know, when we're talking about deadlift technique and we're talking about fat loss programs, and we're talking about how to improve scapular upper rotation, they're very boring topics for the most part. So if I can keep them entertaining and keep people reading, so they actually do learn, uh, to me, that's a win. And with regards to training, yes, I think there's a degree of it being fun, but I, I'm more I'm more concerned with their have, having there be con or intent and purpose with their training. You know, I'm not I'm not necessarily there to entertain people per se during an actual training session. My job is to give them a training effect and and, and to help them retain their goals. Um, but that's not to say there, I don't have a little fun there either. Whereas at the end of a session, if they, if we have five to 10 minutes to spare, I might say, Hey, okay, let, let's do an arm farm circuit. Let's do a glute circuit. Let's do something that you want to do. That's fun, quote unquote fun. And then, you know, they're, they're going to leave, you know, feeling like they got a pretty good session in. So, um, so the short answer is yes. I think you're, you're 100% spot on that this industry takes themselves way too seriously at times. And, you know, I think if I can, if I can write an article on program design, but then throw in some self-deprecating humor or throw in some cultural pop cultural references with movies and stuff I'm watching, you know, I, I think that's going to keep people's attention. Because I think you guys would agree today's attention span is like three seconds. <laughs> and if, if you can't draw people in right away, whether it is writing or, or digital content, um, you're, you're missing out on a large uh, portion of that audience. So, Mike, before you jump in, I want to kind of run with something that you said there is because there's that balance. And we, you know, our course is talking about program design is there's that balance between, OK, there are the, the principles we need to follow and the elements we need to we need to attack in our checklist of things we, we need to do to get you to your goal. 
And sometimes that gets lost in, and I'll steal a phrase from one of our mentors, Greg Cook talks about just exercise entertainment, right? That we're just writing programs that it just for, hey, well, our client's going to get bored. And you say, well, are, are they really, or are you bored, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's, I mean, of course, Greg Cook would, he always, he never, he never uh, um, is short of a very smart things to say. Uh, and I think a lot of the times we do get in our own heads as coaches. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can look at my computer right now and probably see there's probably thousands of programs that I've written. And we do get in our heads at times where it's like, you know, if I have a client I've been working with for multiple years at some point I, i'm going to be like what the hell am i going to do with this person and i had and i was like okay i got to come up with something fancy and new and unique and really i i've i found time and time again you know i just got an email from a client this morning who was like he he, he likes to write um these monthly reviews of the, the the current block of programming to me which is good feedback for me like what do you like what do you dislike what he felt what he feels working and he his number one sentence was like, I really appreciated the simplicity of this past workout. And I, and I remember when I wrote it, I was like, oh man, he's going to hate this when and actually he loved it. Just the simplicity of it. And I know personally, I have a coach who writes my programs and I love the simplicity of it. And I think if we just keep that in, in our, in the back of our heads, when we're, when we're writing all these programs for our clients, I think we, um, we'd be doing a pretty good job and pretty good service for everyone. No, absolutely. Um, you know, I think uh, it, it's definitely a balance of, especially when you're writing programs. I've been doing this for 20 years. I mean, Eric's been doing it for like 75 years. Um, Tony, you probably, how long have you been in the industry? For? Uh, about the same amount of time as you. Uh, it's yeah, about 20 years. I, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm right. I'm actually right at the 20 year mark this year, actually. Yeah. And it, and it's hard because I think a lot of the times you write, especially if you write a lot of programs, you do think, wow, this is getting boring because I mean, I, I program for like 45 people a month right now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are they going to not like this? Or are they going to hate what we're doing? But at the same time, if we're getting results at the end of the day, that's what really matters. But we're kind of, you know, change directions a little bit here. So, um, you know, if, if you've been a strength coach in the Boston area, um, you know about uh, Cressy Performance. You've, you've heard the name of Tony Gent LaCour. And um, you were one of the OGs along with Pete and, and Eric. And, uh, you know, I even heard the joke that it should be, it should have been called Cress LaCour Sports Performance. Um, you know, the, the stuff that you guys did early on was, in my opinion, was um, some of the best information out there because, you know, I would I would I would argue that the stuff that you guys were putting out early on, along with the stuff that Mike Boyle was putting on, you guys, you guys really sort of put Boston on the map when it came to creating this sort of a mecca of strength and conditioning. But, uh, you know, Eric's done his thing. He's moved on. You've moved on. But did you ever imagine it would be as successful as it as it did? And and what do you think were the key ingredients to to make things so successful? So I think, you know, this is a, a loaded question, a good loaded question. Uh, you know, when Eric and I and Pete started Cressy Sports Performance, that was in 2007. You know, Eric and I were roommates for two years leading up to that. He was working in, um, uh, we were, actually, we were both in Connecticut working at the same gym. And then we moved to Boston. Uh, a friend of ours had opened up a facility in the Boston area that Eric went to. And I ended up going to uh, Sports Club LA, which is now Equinox uh, in downtown Boston. So we were both working in separate facilities uh, while living in Boston. And, and when we opened up Cressy Sports Performance, you know, I think we were both fairly young. Like I'm, I'm five years older than both Pete and Eric. So when we opened up Cressy Sports Performance, I was 30 and they were 25. 
which, you know, nowadays, you, that's kind of unheard of for people, quote unquote, that young opening up a facility. And, you know, like, there's a, there was a degree of naivete, I, I suppose. So like, yeah, we're, we write for Teen Nation, we're going to do good, we're going to make this happen, and people are going to come to us. Um, but that did kind of help us, because when we did open, like, Eric had already uh, a, probably a roster of 20, 30 athletes training at that facility that went with him to our facility. And I had a few clients already that were just, that would just follow me there. So there was a degree of career capital that we had in our back pocket, uh, you know, like having our, our current client roster because we weren't starting from zero. So that definitely voted in our favor. Um, and I do think there are, you know, Eric and I both started writing for TV nation early in our careers. And that certainly, and that was in a, that was with an era where we weren't competing with social media and we weren't competing with YouTube. So like T nation and bodybuilding.com and, and our respective websites and blogs were kind of the preeminent sources of information for a lot of coaches and personal trainers. So, you know, again, I think that was just dumb luck <laughs> that, that, that that happened. Um, and I, I think, you know, as we, as as our facility grew, you know, and then certainly, you know, we, we, we developed a niche of working with baseball players, you know, starting with a lot of um, local high school baseball players was kind of evolved in the collegiate level, which then evolved into some minor league guys. And then now Cressy Sports Performance is kind of the preeminent <laughs> baseball training facility in, in, in the country. Uh, you know, I don't think we, any of us thought it would get to the, that level. But I think we were pretty confident that we were going to do pretty well um, in, in terms of like staying open for a year, two years, three years, five years. Um, you know, I, I, I hope that answers the question. It's not a sexy answer. I just think there was a lot of, you know, I, I don't think any of us would say um, definitively, yeah, we knew this was going to work. I mean, there, there's certainly a lot of, of luck, but um, anyone who knows Eric and Pete, their work ethic is kind of unparalleled. Uh, Eric. Eric is a terminator of, of work ethic. I mean, that guy, I've never, I've never uh, seen anyone who works harder than him. And, 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 you know, I used to joke that he'd be, you know, when we were roommates, he'd be in this, his room writing articles and, and books. And I'd be in the living room watching Lord of the Rings for like the 17th time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, but that, that work ethic kind of rubbed off on me. Like, you know, I started doing writing and started being more consistent with it. Um, you know, I know it's a bit off track, but I, I do think the skill of writing and be able to communicate in that medium is a very powerful tool for, for any coach and trainer or physical therapist or nutritionist to have. I think if you have, if you have the power of, the, of being able to communicate via social media or a blog post or whatever, I, I think that's, that's a very powerful, powerful tool. I know it's kind of not not in 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 popularity right now because a lot of a lot of a lot of what's being pushed nowadays is video content, which I not not my strong suit, <laughs> admittedly. Um, but I think a lot of those components of between you know already having five years in the industry, we were both writing. We kind of had we were kind of early in on the on the whole social media diaspora. Uh, kind of just worked in our favor at that time. Yeah, you know what? Um, it's it's interesting because um, you know what I think about when I when I think about Cressy Sports and and the stuff that you guys did early on together. I think about one, you were one of the first, which always helps, and you were good, right? So you kind of have a perfect like, storm yeah. to hopefully be <laughs> successful, right? Because you can be you can be first and you can suck, 
right? Like, I mean, that we, True. you know, if we're being brutally <laughs> honest, like you could, you could be one of the first people and you could be really, really bad at your job. And, and it that's, is that's what it a is, very but... fair point. Yeah. And I, and I, I'm not one, I'm not a self promoter at all. Uh, I, I certainly like to think I, I stay pretty humble, but yeah, like certainly there was a degree of, uh, I wouldn't say pompous, but we, we, we knew we were good at what, at being coaches and we coach people up very well. And lo and behold, when, if you get people results, uh, that's like the best marketing you can have. You know, we've Cresty Sports Performance, I think still has never really spent a dime on, on marketing. You know, it's all been word of mouth. It's all been, uh, you know, like, like um, showcasing people's results on social media, et cetera. Um, they, we've never, and, and even when I've gone off on my own, and I'm working with here in Boston on my personal training studio. It's, I don't market my services on Instagram or Facebook. It's all word of mouth, getting my clients results, treating them well, um, and, and just, you know, <laughs> being a good coach, uh, it's, it's, it's like the most unsexy answer there is, but, uh, but that's, but there's also, I mean, you might, you said it too, Mike, like we've both been coaching for two decades. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said there. I mean, there's a lot of expertise there, um, you know, all the programs we've written, you know, there's a lot of programs that I write for person A that's very similar to person B, but where the individualization comes in is how I coach those people up on those movements. You know, how I coach somebody up on a deadlift can be completely different from person B on how I coach them up on their deadlift. I mean, the sets and reps might be the same, but the loading's different, the setup is different, how I coach them up is different. And that, that just comes to being a coach for years and years and years. And that's, that's where ex, expertise. So, um, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. no. And, and oh, I'm go sorry. Ahead. Two things I would add was, is I got the opportunity to go up and, and be at the, uh, Massachusetts facility for a couple of days for the pitching internship that Eric does. And, uh, yep. you know, the content was awesome, you know, between him and Eric and, and, um, and all the content of the the actual you know nuts and bolts of strength and conditioning and rehab and all that stuff was awesome. But but also what I what was one of the most powerful things was the hour I spent with Pete at lunch, and what he talked about in terms of culture and really kind of taking mm -hmm. things away of you know stealing from what what Howard Schultz says at Starbucks is we want this to be a third space where people come and hang out. And he said we know we're doing the right thing when guys are eating two meals here, right? And it's this clubhouse mm -hmm. type of effect. And I think. Places like Cressy, places like yours, places like like Mike's skill of strength, those are the places that have, as much as our industry got decimated by COVID, those are the places that have really thrived because people are craving that type of community and connection. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, this idea of, of relatedness, you know, I'm a big fan of talking about self-determination theory with coaches and how, what, what can we do to improve people's motivation to not only like get over the hump of like going to the gym, but also sticking with it and staying with a plan, you know, this idea of autonomy, competency, et cetera. But the third one is relatedness and that is community and culture. And certainly, yes, Pete is very, very good at that. Um, there's a reason why he and Mark Fisher and Michael Keeler of Mark Fisher fitness business for unicorns have partnered up. I mean, they're that, that if, if, that is a, a, a very under, I wouldn't even say it's undervalued, but underappreciated or underutilized component of gym culture is, is that is, it isn't just getting people results. I mean, that certainly is a big component. Um, but that idea of camaraderie being around like-minded individuals, uh, that's, that's a, and it isn't, it isn't only 
gin stuff. I mean, I, 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 I say this with a bit of tongue in cheek, but I mean, I've, I've presented at facilities around the world where they have book clubs, they have movie clubs, they have nights out with their staff. They, they, you know, they do, they do special events with the, with clients and athletes that are outside of the gym. I mean, all those play into this idea of culture, which is a very important component of everything. And then the other thing in terms of the experience, you know, that Mike and I, when we open up the course, we, we, actually sit down with the people and explain to them look before we start what this is about is not us standing at a podium and saying look how much we know this is about combined you know mike's 20 years my i'm going on year 25 the only difference is i started when i was five tony um <laughs> is that um <laughs> is that you're getting you know 40 plus years of our screw-ups, right? And we've learned what works, what doesn't work, how, why you can't program certain ways, why you can't, you know, uh, go about things a certain way. So um, that's really the, the the biggest part is we try to say, look, we're going to give you a head start so you don't have to go through the next 20 years screwing it up. We'll, we'll show you how we did it um, so you don't have to. Yeah. Um, you know, I, we're coming up, we're coming up on 2023 which so means we're probably, we're roughly two or three weeks away, if not sooner, of various editors of online sites or publications asking professionals like us, hey, what are the new trends coming up? What are these new innovative trends are gonna be in 2023 that we gotta keep our eyes on? And I I always just, I never really like like engaged because I, I just wanna say barbells still work, dumbbells still work, like they're not, I mean, it's a bit old school meathead strength coach thing to say, but uh, it's, it's, it's pretty true. Like I, I, I really, I, I don't go into this, this idea of like, oh, we got to use like all this advanced tech and look at, look at bar speed with this, with this, you know, mechanism that's, you know, my eyes work. Uh, I think all this, this is not to say that that stuff is, doesn't work and doesn't have any validity in, in what we do, but um, yeah, I think keeping it simple and like uh and and uh you know just heck just 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 listening to people and, and being a better communicator uh that's gonna that those three things alone are gonna are gonna put you above many other many other people in in, in this industry well you know what i'll oh, go ahead, Eric. Go ahead Mike. Um, and I was going to say, you know, one of the things, and I'm a little old school too, I'm definitely turning into the, you know, the strength coach says like, get off my lawn type guy. Um, but you mentioned, <laughs> you know, like the basics work. And, um, you know, I think what I'm, one of the trends that I'm seeing, and in, in especially with social media is you see all these newer coaches with all this technology, right? And there's nothing wrong with technology. But, sure. but in my opinion, um, if you haven't spent that time coaching the basics over and over and over again, and teaching hundreds of people how to deadlift, bench, squat, do pull-ups, right? All of that information from the tech, it's good, but it's not as good as it could be because you just don't have that, that true in the trenches training experience. And um, that can't be bought via technology, right? You can't, mm -hmm. I love the, using the term wisdom if, if, and, and I'm sure we all have spent time with someone that's older, right? Someone that's in their seventies and their eighties. And when you have that conversation with them, there's this wisdom, right? There's this gentle wisdom where they explain to you what they've done and, and you can't gain that true wisdom through technology, right? You just need to put the time in. And I think that's something uh, that people really need to understand. There's nothing wrong with velocity-based training and heart rate variability and all that stuff. No, not at but all. you need, in my opinion, you need to have that really, really good base level of just coaching and training 
and really being simple because yeah. we've all done it. If you if you do things really really simple and and I've done it, man. I've I've chased the trends that come out and then I go, "Oh man, that trend that I spent this money on this course. I you know what? Cool, it was information, but I used 1% of what I learned." So, um I think there's something to be said about just years of of trial and error and um and and understanding how to make decisions without you know, looking at your watch or your smartphone every second, because, you know, there's going to be days and times where you're just going to have to train and prepare. And, you know, if, yeah. if you looked at your watch and your, your iPhone every day and you go, well, my iPhone says, uh, based off of my last week, I can't train. It's just like, well, I understand yeah. that. But in the real world, like I always tell my fighters, right. If I got a guy fighting in the UFC and he's a main event guy on a Saturday night and his HRV is low, what is he going to call Dana White and go, Hey, Dana, Listen, um, I had a low HRV score, so I can't fight this evening, right? You you can't do that. Yeah. So at a certain point, you have to you have to use a little bit of uh, a little bit of common sense, but uh, you have to just just roll with it sometimes, and and you can't make well, every single decision on technology. I you know I couldn't agree more. And again, this is not to say that this is not an anti-technology podcast because we've all used we've all used some degree of technology, whether it's HRV using our Apple Watch. Um, but I have to say as a coach, you know, and granted, I'm not working with a, with a, a wide variety of, of high, uh, high level athletes right now. Like I have a few high school, college kids I work with, but nowhere near the level of athlete that I worked with when I was at Cressy Sports Performance. Like I work with gen, gen pop clients now. Um, so really there's no need for me to hook up a barbell to, uh, <laughs> to find out what their bar speed is when then, you know, they, they just have to go to work the next day. Um, however, you know, with that clientele, I, you know, m m the power of hands-on coaching trumps technology 10, 20, 50 fold. You know, I, no client of mine that current that I have currently has really said, yeah, Tony, I'm going to stick with you because you're using barbells based training with, and I'm, I'm blanking on the names of the, 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 the technology that measures bar speed. I know I'm just, I'm just blanking on that. I know there's, there's like three or four of them that are very popular. Um, you know, I've, I've retained my clients because when I watch them doing a lift, whether it's a squat, uh, a chest supported row, a deadlift, I'm watching and I'm giving them feedback after a set that I feel they need to work on, or I'm putting my hands on them and putting them into a better position. So they actually feel where they're supposed to feel the exercise that, and then like, Oh my God. And I, I didn't, I didn't, I never felt that before. That to me is the power of coaching. Um, and I, and to me, that, that's a more powerful tool as a coach than any, any technology I could be using with them. Hey everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. Yeah, the, the tech, and again, it's not anti-tech. What it, it does help, find, we find it helpful for is it, it helps in sometimes even in the like the gamification of training, so to speak. We had Rhett sure. Larson on a couple of weeks ago and, and, you know, hey, maybe just them seeing that output of the bar speed is is more for some feedback to, hey, you get, you know, this is this is measuring more your input into this exercise. It's not because I'm looking to to hit any specific number, just I want you to be able to gauge your effort level. Um, and so yeah. it's, it's helpful there. Um, 
But I, I think on the, 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 the broader scope, taking a, a, a step back in the bird's eye view, I think the big thing that we, we need to understand is we're not really inventing anything. And I forget what a legendary strength coach said. It. He's like, you know, tell me what you're doing now and I'll tell you what we called it 30 years ago. And, um, <laughs> you know, I joke when we teach, I said, do we have any, you know, yogis that are 2000 years or older? No hands go up. Do we have any ancient Greeks in the room? No hands go up. Okay, well, then none of us invented shit because they were using medicine balls and, you know, in ancient Greece. And, and, you know, most of the stuff that we call mobility flows and all that stuff, it's yoga just repackaged. So, yeah. um, so with that, we're not really inventing things. We're just figuring bigger ways to better ways to deliver it, which is just good coaching. Um, but let's talk about the fact that you did transition from more athletes to, you know, general population. And, and how does that change your approach in terms of your programming, in terms of how you go about things? Yeah, so I, I did that transition uh, mostly because of where where my studio is here in Boston. It's in Brookline. Um, and I knew going in that I, I wasn't going to be training a lot of athletes. And honestly, I needed to change the pace as a coach. So when I when I left Cressy Sports Performance, I was working with baseball players for many, 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 many years, amongst other athletes too in other sports. But you know, I needed I needed a bit more variety <laughs> in my in my coaching life. And I've always enjoyed working with, with uh, regular people, Gen Pop. You know, that's what I started with early in my career. Then there was like a, you know, an eight-year block at Crusty Sports Performance where I got to work with MLB guys and, you know, fighters, some, not, not to the degree of Mike, but football players and, you know, wide, a, ride, a wide array of, of, of athletes. Um, and, you know, with regards to my, my, my approach to coaching them, writing programs for Gen Pop, I, I get asked this question quite often. And honestly, if you look at a program that I wrote for a 20-year-old pitcher from Georgia Tech from uh, back in 2014 to a, a program that I write for Hank from sales, uh, who just wants to get a little bit stronger and lose a little fat, there's not a massive difference. I mean, they're, they're, they're both deadlifting. They're both doing single leg work. They're both doing pull-ups. They're both doing farmer carries. I would say the difference is load. Uh, you know, certainly if I'm prepping someone for a, for a competitive season or for an event, I mean, there's going to be a, a degree of periodization and, and, and prepping, prepping them for that season that, that Hank is not going to receive. And also velocity of you know going into this whole th conversation about bar speed, um, I'm not too concerned about them maintaining a certain level of velocity with the, their their force output, rate of force development, anything like that with a gen pop client, you know. And even with programming, a lot of my gen pop clients they don't need periodization. Like I'm not writing you know month one month two month three month blocks of periodization for my gen pop clients because life gets in the way. I mean they're going to get sick. They're going to have kids get sick. Work's going to suck. They're going to miss that. They're going to travel. They have family. So really, I, I mean, yes, I do think of like my, my, my programming as one month blocks just because just from a billing standpoint, that's what I do with my clients each month. They, they pay me up front for their sessions. I write their program for them. They don't get a new program until those sessions are done. And then we, then we just keep the system going. Um, you know, so, and even with, with, with that programming, it's not, I, I'm not thinking that far ahead. I mean, there's oftentimes people come in and I can tell when they walk in that they're not feeling it that day, or, you know, they're just stressed to the gills about whatever. 
And I, I just said, hey, I'm going to whiteboard you today. And what I mean by that is I'm going to I'm going to write on my whiteboard. Here, here's what we have planned today. Yeah, you're supposed to do three sets of five of this exercise and maybe hit a heavy triple on this. And so today, we're, this is what we're doing instead. And again, that just comes down to coaching and feel and, and treating people, understanding that they're not always going to be coming in feeling like rock stars. And sometimes they're just going to have a, a, a bad day and they just they need to move and they need to do something. I've always tried to instill in my clients that showing up is is the key the hardest part is is just showing up but we can we can always find a, a a training effect so even if we aren't hitting previous week's numbers or hitting prs that you were hitting the month prior that's fine it's all ebbs and flows anyways like if it if it were just linear progress we'd all be superstars and getting paid a lot of money to do lift weights and play sports it's just not there's there's going to be peaks and valleys with our strength levels throwing a med ball to a wall, that's pretty bad ass of yeah. them. I mean, they, my, my clients, they love when, when I can add chains to their deadlift and like, Oh my God, this is so badass. This is awesome. It's like, yes, there, there's a mythology there. Like I, yes, we're, we're leaning into the strength curve and you know, there, there, there is a, a method to me implementing chains into someone's deadlifts, but for them, it's just something badass that they can do that. So just a, 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 a tad different. Um, so that, I mean, I, hopefully I answered your question there, Eric. I know I was kind of going off on, a few rants there, but, but the short answer is, you know, from, I, I'm, I'm like you guys, I'm very much a fan of training movements and movement patterns, you know, whether I'm working with an athlete or whether I'm working with a gen pop, you know, then I, I kind of have to look at, uh, you know, if I'm working with an athlete, what, what's the demands of their sport? What do they need more of? I'm not trying to emulate the sport in the weight room. If anything, I'm trying to do opposite stuff of what they do on the field or on, on the court or on the mat. Uh, and when my gen pop, I'm just trying to see, you know, where, what, what positions are they kind of stuck in all day? You know, they're kind of sitting in front of a computer, they're hunched over. So I want to, I want to open them up a little bit in their session and try to work more posterior chain, more upper back and glutes and hamstrings. So that, that's kind of like my general approach to it. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you've worked with a bunch of professional athletes. Eric uh, worked with the Giants. I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with a bunch of pros up this way. And, um, and, and it's awesome to work with the pros. Right. And I always, and actually, I remember I, I, uh, you posted something on Instagram, um, Tony, and I, I messaged you and it was about working with, you know, athletes and then Jen pop. And, you know, I always tell people, when you work with professional athletes, it's great for the resume. But when you work with Gen Pop, yes. it's great for the bank. It's great for the bank yep. account, right? Because <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, yeah. at the end of the day, right? I mean, you know, pro athletes come and go, and they all want a deal, and and there's really not a lot of money in it. Yet some people do really, real, really well with it. But um, you know, from a sustainability standpoint, and having that monthly revenue come in, um, Gen Pop is where it's at. And and a lot of people think, oh, you know you should be working with pros still. And it's like, like yeah, it, it's fun and everything. But at the same time, it's, it's sometimes it's, you're just dealing with a uh, bigger pain it's in the asses, level man. Of stress. It's a whole level of stress. Cause like, you, you know, even if, if you're training with athletes or even if you're training actors, uh, fashion models, like I have a good, one of my best friends in London. I mean, he works with nothing but uh, like actors and models 
And yeah, it's cool. Like he he's met a lot of famous people. He gets to work with a lot of famous people, but you're kind of at the mercy of their schedule and it sucks. Like, yeah, it's like someone cancels because of whatever reason. And that, that fucks up every, the rest of the day. And it's a whole level of stress that, I mean, he's a single, single guy. He doesn't have any kids. He's not married. You know, he can, he, he, he can do it and get away. Me, there's no way in hell I could do that. Like I, yeah. I, there, I just couldn't do it. Like I, I worked with an actress a few summers ago who was here filming a movie for Boston. And that's, a, I, I am a, an adamant movie fan. Like that, if I, if I weren't, a co- I often say if I were, if I weren't a coach, I'd be reviewing movies and just watching like four movies a day and I'd be completely fine. I would still be jacked, but I'd be watching like a lot of movies. <laughs> and Priorities. So when I got to work with her, it was great. Like, I mean, I was, I was super pumped. I knew who she was and I watched most of her movies and we, we, we would have that. We would talk about that, but but the cool thing is that she was there to work like that. The gym time was her time off of the set. Like she wanted to just have someone tell her what to do. She, she, she was game for anything I wanted her to have her do, which was awesome. Um, but to do that with, to have that lifestyle with eight, nine, 10 of those people, that I, that's a whole level of stress that I wouldn't want. And that's, that's yeah. the dark side of that, of the industry that people don't think about. They just think, Oh, I get to throw th- toss up on Instagram that I worked with so-and-so. And no, they're like, I mean, I've spoken with Ben Bruno. I'm good friends with Ben Bruno. I'm good friends with all these people, like my buddy Luke in London. Like they, they, they are stressed at times when it comes to uh, that, uh, that demographic of work, uh, of working with. So with Gen Pop, it's like, you know, it's pretty smooth sailing. I love it. Like, it, yeah, it's it like they, they, they show up, they show up on a, on a weekly basis. Like I don't, I don't really have to prep them for anything. It's just like, I just want to make sure I don't get them hurt. And that they are just making small, tangible uh, um, jumps in progress. And yeah, yeah, I think your your analogy of yeah, yeah, the training athletes and actors is the resume, but the banking account with GenPop is it's a, it's a perfect analogy. It's spot on. <laughs> what yeah. I would add to so, the stress too is when we talk about the competency comp- component. I remember working with a, a player once, and I remember it, it. I don't know what made it hit me, but I was like doing some manual like mobility work with their shoulder. And I hit me like, holy shit, this arm in my hand is worth $20 million a year. Don't screw this up, right? If I do that (laughs) with, with, with my regular client, like it, Neil's shoulder is going to be a little sore at the office tomorrow. Right. But if I screw up this arm that's in my hand, like I'm going to be on the front page of the paper. Right. So like, that's a whole nother level stress. You really got to be good. Yeah. So uh, let's let's switch gears a little bit. So, you know, as trainers, uh, regardless of, of where we go, if people know that we're trainers, people always ask, hey, uh, what's a good workout for this? Or can you give me a workout for that? And uh, unfortunately, you know, if you're a good coach and you know this, uh, you can't just hand someone a workout, you know, it's it, without knowing a damn thing about them. But what is your process when it comes to delivering uh, a workout or developing a workout or a training program for someone? So I think... Yes, I, I agree. Like, I can't tell you how many times, like, like random people on the internet will send me a message like, hey, my knee hurts. Can you write me a program? I'm like, I don't know you. Like, <laughs> like what, what, are we, what are we doing here? And, but with my, with my clients, like there, there is, a, I hate using the word assessment, but that's really the term to use. Like, I know there's like these in vogue terms that people use now, like a, you know, a, a, a 
like mind session or like a success session, I, those are fine, but it's an assessment. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I need some general information of someone's movement ability and capabilities. You know, what, what movements hurt or exacerbate their symptoms. If they're coming to me with low back pain or a shoulder that doesn't feel great or a knee, whatever, I need to know what, what stuff in their day-to-day -day life bothers that or where, where it feels worse or where it doesn't. I need to know their past injury history to see, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've had people forget to tell me they've had heart surgery. I'm like, I'm like, like, we'll be, we'll be like two sessions in. Oh yeah. I forgot to tell you, uh, back in four years ago, I had heart surgery. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Like that would have been, I need that information. Um, and you know, so when I, when I, uh, when I go through an initial assessment with my, with my clients, like I try not to peel back the onion too much. So it's very, it's actually very rare that somebody is coming in with like this laundry list of injuries. Like it happens, of course, like we get it a lot. And if that is the case, I'm going to be a lot more detailed with, with my, with my approach and get into the nitty gritty and really kind of spend the full hour, basically just talking about that stuff and trying to see, okay, what, what is exacerbating their symptoms for the most part, if someone's coming in with a pretty clean injury history, yeah, they might say, oh, I've had my lower back kind of hurts me sometimes or my knee kind of tweaks me out sometimes. Like I, I just want to get some general sense of, you know, their movement ability. So I'm looking, I'm putting them on the table for like five minutes and I'm just doing some rudimentary movement screens of like just looking at their hip flexion, you know, looking at their adductor length, maybe having to do an active straight leg raise. And then I'm looking at overhead mobility just to kind of give me two like global movement patterns that are going to give me the, give me a, a basic idea of their movement ability. Then honestly, after that, that takes maximum five, maybe 10 minutes. We're doing a training session and I, I get, I mean, it sounds very cliche. I get it, but I do get more information watching them do stuff like, and not over coaching them at least in the beginning. So if I set up a trap bar and I put the the plate time, you know, I, I don't, I load it to a load that I know they're going to be able to do. And I just say, pick that up five times. That's all I say. And I just want to see like what their default mechanism is or movement pattern is to, to pick that barbell up. And then from there I say, Oh, okay, well, you know, they're not in a good position. So let's coach them up and let's get it. Let's get them in a better position. You know, then from there, it's like, well, how confident are you are with your pushups? Uh, you know, you, you mentioned to me, your shoulders are bothering. Let's, let's look at your pushup. You know, I'm trying to see like, are they getting good scapular movement on the rib cage when they're doing a pushup? Or are, are, is, are they, is there, is there a lumbar spine caving in and they're not getting good pelvic stability, a hip pelvic stability. So it's stuff like that, that gives me really all the information I need to uh, develop or, 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 or conjure up, not conjure up, but, but produce a, 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 a good program from them that moving forward, uh, looking at body weight squats. I mean, I honestly, body weight squat for most people, their body weight squat is atrocious. So I load them up and I say, here, here's a plate, here's a goblet. Show, let, let's see you squat with that. Not a lot of weight. I'm not putting, I'm not doing barbell back squats on day one. Don't, don't interpret it that way. But most people's body weight squat doesn't feel good. And I, I'm, I'm kind of tinkering with foot position, stance, staggeredness. I'm trying to see like what feels best for that individual because everyone's anatomy is a little bit different. And I'm trying to see, and then I load them up a little bit, have them hold a light kettlebell, a light dumbbell. And that load gets them to turn their abs on and their core on, gets them, gets them a little bit more posterior tilt in their pelvis. Oh my God, I, now you're squatting a little bit deeper. It's like, yeah, because you're engaged, you're turning stuff on. 
So, you know, I'm not scared to load people on session number one. I mean, I'm not, I'm not testing one rep maxes or anything. I don't need to, but, but getting them, getting, giving them a little bit of a flavor of what a training session is going to feel like without, without crushing them. (laughs) You know, I want them feeling like they could do more at the end of a session. I want them feeling good at the end of a session. To me, that's going to be a more powerful selling point for me as the coach that they're leaving a session feeling pretty good. Like, Oh yeah, that wasn't so bad. And then, you know, the, the, the likelihood that they're going to come back is going to be pretty high. So that that's kind of like my general approach to assessment. Uh, and then that's going to give me the information I need to write a coherent program based off their injury history, their goals, uh, their anatomy uh, moving forward. You know, it, it's interesting because this reminds me of, you know, being being a kettlebell guy, I've, you know, studied under Pavel and Brett Jones and. Um, you know, I've taught, I can't tell you how many people I've taught how to do a kettlebell swing. And early on, you know, I used to take people through this, this very sort of methodical approach to swinging a kettlebell and, and it worked. Um, but now what I do is I warm them up and I say, uh, do you, you know, you know what a kettlebell swing looks like, right? And they're like, yeah, well, just show me your swings. Mm-hmm. And I have saved so much time by just allowing them to show me what they've got early in the session, because, you know, Yes, it's it seems cool to like be able to oh you you blinked when you know you were on the eccentric part and your your neck was slightly turned this way. That's you know I I think people want to you know pick apart certain things, but you know I always love to give my clients the opportunity to prove me right, right to show me that they know what sure. they're doing. And if I have to give them you know one or two little tweaks based off of what I'm seeing, great because man, I probably saved myself 45 minutes and there's nothing wrong with saying to your client, Hey, that looks awesome. Cause I think a lot of people and a lot of coaches want to, they want to talk the talk. They want to talk about, you know, parts and they want to talk about muscles and this isn't firing. It's probably this, but you know, it's, if your client moves well and they can do it well, give them a high five, give them some positive reinforcement and and then move on because if, if it isn't broke, don't fix it, but you need to get some sort of baseline. And, and what you're doing is essentially your, your movement screening with a very light load. And that's, that's really what it boils down to. But, uh, you know, I want to, I want to talk about the idea of a trainable menu because, um, you know, I went back and, and read, uh, read one of your blogs, uh, on that. And I know a lot of that came from talking with Mike Robertson, but explain to us, uh, you know, give us sort of the cliff notes of the trainable menu. So the trainable menu is, uh, yeah, you're right. I got it listening to a podcast from Mike Robertson with Chris Chase. So Chris Chase then was, I believe, the coach of, um, uh, I think, UFC baseball, or maybe he was in the NBA. He was training high-level athletes, nonetheless. And he mentioned this idea of the trainable menu where, you know, athletes who come in and during during a competitive season, they get pretty banged up and they, they don't feel 100%. Uh, his job as a strength coach was to find their trainable menu, focusing on what they can do and not what they can't do. Uh, and to me, that was a punch in the face. I was like, whoa, that's, that is like next level, like, um, like mindset philosophy shit that I never even thought of. I mean, I kind of like intuitively kind of lean that way, but I never had a, a, a way of articulating it in a way that made sense, the trainable menu. Um, so in the year since, I've kind of helped popularize that concept where my my mo as the coach is to find people's trainable menus so yeah maybe their low back doesn't feel great or their shoulder doesn't feel great or maybe their arm is in a sling it's like hey 
you have a, a lower body you can train, you have a right arm you can train, you have some glutes you can train, we're going to find your trainable menu. And I had to put myself through it uh, not too long ago during, during COVID. Um, you know, I ruptured my right Achilles down in Florida when we were down uh, at my in-laws house and I had to fly back up to Boston and get surgery. Uh, and I really took it upon myself in my social media to showcase like, hey, I'm in a cast and a boot on crutches. I, I, I can't even put weight on my right leg, but I'm still rack, doing rack pulls. I'm still doing single leg work on my, I mean, I joke that my, my left leg turned into like a, like. I, it, I was doing half field split squats or half field squats with the safety squat bar on my, on my left leg, like upwards of like 350 pounds. It was like, but I knew that my, once I did start rehab, that that neural input to my injured side was going to expedite my rehab. I probably, <laughs> no, there's a lot of research that suggests like, even if you don't train an injured limb training the other side, there is like a, a feed forward neural stimulation to the injured side so when you actually do start rehab the that process is kind of expedited so you know that's what I mean by the trainable menu and something I try to instill with all of my clients say listen I understand that your shoulder doesn't feel great this week or today or whatever but there's a lot of other things we can do in a training session that's going to that's going to get your heart rate up that's going to feel you feeling good it's going to stimulate muscle growth uh, you know, that that's going to bode well, even even if we aren't training that that part of your body. You know, I really love that. And and the way you're delivering that and it kind of brings you back, you know, most people know Mike and I uh, through the FMS channels and being lead instructors for them for 15 years. And, you know, some of the biggest misconceptions um, and, and things I wish I could just get people to, to understand is. Um, you know, people will argue about the tests themselves. Oh, why do you squat with your feet straight? Oh, why do you do this? And that test doesn't do this. And it, and it's like, you don't get it. Like if, if Tony has his movement screen, we have this movement screen. I like this one because it's simple and succinct and it worked for me. But as long as you're doing something, the point of this whole thing is to figure out what you can and what you shouldn't do. And really the whole point of this, like even the point, oh, well, it doesn't prevent injuries or predict injuries. No, we never said it did. All we're doing is, is prevent me from hurting you. Like if I could teach the course and Gray and Lee wouldn't be real thrilled about it, but like, cause I have to deliver the system when we teach the workshop. But if I could just stand up there and say, look, the whole purpose of this thing is to stop you from doing dumb shit. Don't do anything stupid, right? This guy can't even touch his toes. Probably not a good idea to run to the bar and start deadlifting from the floor. That's, that's all it is. And that's basically in, in the, that concept that you're saying is trainable menu. That's, that's essentially what we want to land on is say, these are the things that we're all good to go with. And even if you do a movement screen and you completely bomb three of the tests and have pain in two of them, I still got four other patterns I could train the hell out of. So I think that's the, the misconception and, and you shoot the, all the arrows you want at the, at the brand and the screen. Um, but you're not understanding the concept and, and the, and the purpose behind it. Um, and so in, in going back to what you're talking about with working with general population is that you do need to consider, especially now, um, you know, coming out of COVID is that you have a lot of people that are very fragile, that you have people that, that you have to consider some stuff before you just go and give them the template program. Yeah. Um, yeah, spot on. I mean, I think to me, you know, the, it might come, a, come across as being a bit of a curmudgeon in saying this, but rest is really not an option. I mean, there's certainly some extenuating circumstances where, yes, like poster, a lot of times, like, I, I, I mean, I remember I had a, a client who had knee surgery and he was like, what, do, what, do, what can I do the, the following day? And I'm like, dude, 
relax like like give your give your body a little bit of a, a break and to allow it to recover but uh again the this idea of like oh i gotta take two weeks off because i can't this part of my body doesn't feel great like eh, i'm like eh, i'll push back against that to to some degree um certainly i, I don't want to disrespect anyone's preferences or maybe their their doctor's advice or anything like that i'm just a dumb strength coach but um, I, I've, I've proven many, many, many times to people that, Hey, you know, you can still get a really good training session in and, and follow a really good program, even though uh, a certain part of your body is, is kind of out of commission at the moment. So I just think that's a powerful tool for any coach or fitness professional to, to, to keep. Um, and it's, it's a really great message to yes, athletes, but certainly gen pop clients too. Cause I mean, to me, uh, that, 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 that consistency is what I'm after. Cause what I hate happening is when people are making progress and they're making good, they're making good strides. And then, yeah, something happens where they, you know, they, something happened at home where they kind of hurt their shoulder. Oh, I'm going to take two weeks off. And then they, it's just like, they're losing a lot of momentum there. And I was like, I, I really want to avoid that as much as possible. So our, our time here has been been flying by and I don't want to miss out talking about some of the stuff you're working on. So you have, uh, I know I, you have this strategic strength workshop that you're coming out in, in the near future. Tell yep. us about that as well as some other stuff you're working on. Yeah, so the strategic strength workshop is a workshop I do with my friend that I uh, referenced earlier in London, Luke Worthington. So he, he, like us, has 20 plus years of experience over in the UK working with a lot of high level athletes over there. Um, he work, currently works with a lot of A-list celebrities, um, but he and I have been work, doing this workshop for probably since 2018. We've done it a few times in London. We've done it a few times over here in Boston, and we recorded it a couple weeks ago in Los Angeles. So we're currently in video review, which I don't know about you guys, but I hate watching myself on video for seven hours. It's awful. <laughs> and so like every, every little thing, it's like, oh, I said that wrong. Or I could have said that better. And I'm like, ah. Oh. Um, but that, that product was, um, it's going to, I think it ended up being 11 or 12 hours of he and I discussing our approach to assessment, our approach to getting people in better positions, as far as like breathing patterns, not too deep down the rabbit hole. I don't want to scare people off and saying, we're going to go full PRI, uh, posture restoration Institute. There's, there's elements of it, but, um, it's really about getting people in a better positions and that, a lot of what is perceived as a dysfunction is not really a dysfunction. It's just like a, 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 they, we need to get them in a better position and talking about program design and coaching up people on their squats and deadlifts and some of my tenets to those, those movements. And what I mean by tenets is like across the board, when I'm coaching up a squat or coaching up a deadlift, here's some rules or, or principles that I use with clients across the board that I think apply to everyone, you know, and then I'll leave it up to the internet to argue about bar position and, and where our hands go and what's is sumo deadlift cheating. I'll leave that up to the, to the internet to, to argue, but um, that's going to be probably, I think that's going to be released uh, early 2023. We're, we're aiming for January. Um, and then my wife and I are going to be releasing um, an app together uh, through a company called Suter. Um, so we're, it's going to be called Strong Body, Strong Mind. So my side of the app is going to be uh, strength and conditioning. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to start with a with a program called Beginner to Badass. So basically starting somebody from a stark beginner, I'm going to build them up into a badass over the course of six, eight, 12 months. And then her side as a, as a psychologist is going to be dealing more with um, the mindset component of that. So um, talking about motivation and barriers to motivation 
Um, so I think that's going to be pretty powerful or, or a nice tool for people to have uh, to follow a coherent program, but also getting the, the expertise and knowledge of a, an actual doctor of psychology and not some just random mindset coach on Instagram. So that's going to be, uh, I think that is going to be pretty cool. So those are yeah, two big products coming out soon. Awesome. Good for you. And we're going to have links uh, in the show notes for all this stuff. Before we start to uh, wrap it up, uh, Michael, anything you want to add or any last thoughts? No, uh, Tony, it's always good to catch up, man. It's uh, It's been a while yes. since I've seen you in person. And hopefully we get to cross yes. paths at some point. If, yeah. uh, if you're ever out, that far apart. out this way, if you're ever out this way, you're, you're more than welcome to come in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise, Mike. Cool. Well, I want to thank you for your time, Tony. I want to thank everybody for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance Podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets, as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the principles of program design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.